We've been looking at the tabernacle in the wilderness. You know, when we were kids, we used to get the Christian Herald at home. And there was always a serial in it. And at the start of every series, every week or whenever it came out, every week I think of this, there was the story so far. And you read a little synopsis. Well, every week we have to do the story so far because some people come if they don't know what we're talking about. So we'll do the story so far and it makes us talk about twice as long as it should be. But we have, we have been uh, looking at the tabernacle. If you go back to Exodus chapter 25 and you'll see what God said there. Uh, God had shown Moses a pattern of the tabernacle which he wanted and all the instruments that were in it. And he said in Exodus 25 verse 9, According to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, so shall ye make it. We go back to verse 8 it says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. God wanted to dwell amongst the children of Israel and he said make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them and that was the whole point and that was the whole reason why Moses uh, made or had made the uh, had the tabernacle made and this is just the general layout of what it was like you had the surround and the main sanctuary in here which was divided between two it was divided between the Holy of Holies and the holy place at the front. And we saw that it looked a little bit like this, an artist's impression uh, of what it looked like. This was a surround and the altar, the laver where the priests washed, and the tabernacle itself, which wasn't all that big. We said that last week. It wasn't as big as you think. It was only about 15 or 16 feet wide. And it was about 45, 50 feet long. So it was, it was quite small. And then it was divided in two, halfway up. And the front uh, was a... Here you had... This was the front, front entrance here. And then it was divided in here between the holy place and the most holy place. This is just an artist's impression of what it looked like. We have been looking at the various aspects of the gate and the, the altar and the laver and we have reached uh, to this section here and we looked at the various colours last week of the door, the gate and the veil here and then the main veil which was inside. And we looked at this little print here which gave a, a better idea this is looking out of this was the entrance which in fact was a curtain and then you went into this section here and then the veil into the most holy place further back was paint it was uh, embroidered like this with cherubims on it only the high priest could go into the most holy place and he went in once a year he offered two sacrifices, one sacrifice for his own sins and one sacrifice for the sins of the people. The ordinary priests could go into this section here through this entrance. You see there's a rail across there and this could be uh, pushed aside. But that veil is the veil, the equivalent veil which was in the temple 
And when Jesus Christ died upon the cross and when he said it is finished, and there was an earthquake and all the wonderful things that happened out on Calvary, it was, this veil was ripped from the top to the bottom, indicating that man now could go into the presence of God. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, who Hebrews tells us, is our high priest, our great high priest, he has now gone into the presence of God. And because that veil has been ripped, access into God's presence through the Lord Jesus Christ, it says through his flesh, which is a picture of the veil being ripped, we now have access into the very presence of God. We are priests. That was the, the whole point of this was only the priests could go even into this section. The average man could not go into this section into the holy place. But when we become Christians, we, God recognizes us as priests so that we have access into God's presence because we are kings and priests, as has been shown. Now these colors, we looked at the colors that made up the, the veils, the gate, and the, the two veils. And we saw that they were blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen. The colors represented characteristics, aspects of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything in the tabernacle was a picture in some way of what Jesus Christ is like. They all reflected his glory. In, in this holy place, these uh, boards were made of timber, but they were surrounded by gold. It was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ being human, and yet being godly. The, the timber surrounded by gold. Uh, and each aspect, the, the altar, the laver, all these things, pictured the Lord Jesus Christ. But the colors that made up these curtains. Blue spoke of his heavenly nature. Purple, we saw, spoke of his kingly nature. Scarlet, of his suffering. We saw that to make scarlet, you had to squash up a lot of little insects, and they produced a scarlet dye. A picture, it, it was a picture of sacrifice. Jesus Christ suffered and died for each one of us. And then there was this fine twined linen, speaking of Christ's righteousness and his purity. Now today we come uh, to the coverings of the uh, tabernacle, the actual coverings that went on top of the sanctuary. There were four individual coverings, and we shall look at them individually and see what they are. The first one went over went over the whole building. It was a, a most ornate curtain. And we can see how it was made up there. And it went right over the whole tabernacle. And on it were embroidered cherubims. So that when you were inside and looked up, either when you were in the holy place or the holy of holies, the most holy place at the back, when you looked up, you saw these cherubims and all this magnificent color. And the veil was cherubims 
magnificent. And the gold, the golden Ark of the Covenant, and when you came out into the holy place, the golden lampstand, the golden bread with the show, the table with the showbread on it, and, and the, the other altar, and the wonderful gold. It must have been fantastic. The priests, as they went about their duty, day by day in the holy place and in the holiest place when the high priest went in there once a year were constantly reminded as they looked up and as they looked around them of the glory of God and the holiness of God. The cherubims on it would, would remind them of the necessity to approach God in the correct way. You'll recall that it was the cherubims that God placed in God, outside the Garden of Eden. When man sinned, God placed cherubims to guard the tree of life. Because God didn't want man to further sin. In Genesis 3.24 it says, So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the tree of life. To those priests it was much, a much more real danger, an obvious danger, not to approach God in the incorrect way. If any man had attempted to go into the most holy place, he would have been killed. Man could not approach God the same way as we can approach God today through the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in a wonderfully privileged position that we can go into the very presence of God through the Lord Jesus Christ who intercedes for us. He, it says he is our advocate. When I go into a court of law, uh, the, the barrister is the advocate between me and the judge. When I say to the, the barrister is, is transferred to the judge. When I come to the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer, what I say to him, he presents to his father. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, I have access to God. Not through any other God. We are talking there about other gods. The God Allah. Allah has no son. Jesus said the only way to God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. If their God does not have a son... Therefore, I cannot go through the Lord Jesus Christ. The God of the Muslims, the, God of the, the gods of the Hindus, and there are hundreds of them. There, the Bible says the gods of the nations are demons, are idols. But let's look at these coverings in a little bit more detail, just because for the sake of time we'll have to move on. The separate coverings, although they were performing similar duties, were were different, completely different. There were four different coverings that went over the tabernacle. And here they were. The first one, and let us read chapter 26 of Exodus. And we read the verses 1 to 14, chapter 26. Moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twined linen, and blue and purple and scarlet with cherubims of cunning work shalt thou make them. This was this main one, the one we saw, this first one. The length of one curtain shall be eight and twenty 
uh, cubits, 28 cubits. It's about 28 and a half of that again is uh, 14, about 42 feet. And the breadth, one curtain, four cubits. It's about six or seven feet. And every one of the curtains shall have one measure. They're all the same. You have to have make ten identical curtains. You'd see them a little bit clearer here. You see there are ten along there, all along. Ten identical curtains were made. The length of one curtain, uh, the five curtains shall be coupled together, one to another, and the other five shall be coupled together. So we had ten curtains, five joined together, and another five joined together. So you had two big curtains made up. And thou shalt make loops of blue on the edge of one curtain from the salvage in the coupling, and likewise thou shalt make it in the uttermost edge of another curtain in the coupling of the second. Fifty loops shalt thou make in the one curtain, and fifty loops shalt thou make in the edge of the curtain, that is, in the coupling of the second, that the loops may take hold one of another. I'll explain it in a minute. It's a little bit complicated. And thou shalt make fifty tacks or hooks of gold, and couple the curtains together with the tacks, and it shall be one tabernacle. And thou shalt make curtains of goat's hair to be a covering upon the tabernacle, Eleven curtains shalt thou make. The, curtain, the length of one curtain shall be 50, 30 cubits, and the breadth of one curtain, four cubits. And we'll go on a little bit further. And thou shalt make 50, on verse 10, thou shalt make 50 loops on the edge of one curtain that is utmost in the coupling, and 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that coupleth the second. And so on, unto verse 14. And thou shalt make a covering for the tent of ram's skin dyed red, and a covering above of badger skin. So you had four, four different ones. You had the, the one with the cherubims on it, the one here of the goat skin, the one of the next one, the verse 14, ram skin dyed red, and then you have the top one of badger skin. Four in all. The way the first one was constructed, you made two sets of five curtains all identical. They were joined together, so you ended up with two large curtains. Along the one edge of the, that curtain, you had 50 little blue loops. And on the other one, you had 50 blue loops, and they all matched where they were. And then they made 50 golden hooks, and they hooked those together, and you had one large curtain joined together in the center to make the complete curtain going over the tabernacle. This one here. Amazing bit of work. We look at the men who did that work. They were given special skills. And Moses was ordered to make it always as God had shown him. And that is something which we always must ensure as we study God's word and as we believe things in God's word that it always must be in accordance with what God, God says in his word. Again and again, God kept telling Moses, do it according to the plan. Don't use your own ideas. It might be better to have 48 hooks. No, have 50 hooks. God said have 50 hooks. And that's the way it is. Unless we can back up what we believe in accordance with Scripture, forget about it. This was an habitation in which God wanted to dwell. And the word properly signifies and this was where God was going to dwell. So it was most important that it was to be done correctly. 
This is where God was going to live amongst these people. Everything here here spoke about the the coming Messiah. As I said earlier on, the, 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 the gold represented his divinity. The blue of the curtain speaking of his heavenly abode. The purple of his kingship. The scarlet of his suffering. The two sets of five speak of the two characters of the Lord Jesus Christ. His humanity, his human nature, and his duty to God. That speaks of the commandments as well. The five of the commandments is our duty to God, and five of the commandments is our duty to our neighbor. And these were perfectly met in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, this tabernacle was a type of both the human nature of Christ and the true tabernacle which God pitched, not man. We have a verse in Hebrews, it says, Hebrews 8, In Christ the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily, where the glory of God is seen, in whom he grants his gracious presence to those who have accepted him as Lord and Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ, in him, dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He was God, and yet he was truly man. He was unique. Perfect God and perfect man. In him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And he comes and he wants to dwell amongst men. And he wants to dwell in your heart and my heart through the presence of his Holy Spirit. The presence of God within you. As the presence of God was within this tabernacle and surrounded by a picture of Christ. So God wants to come and dwell in your heart and my heart. It's it's mind-blowing if you think of it. God wants to dwell with you. He wants to dwell with me. Our bodies, Paul says are the temples, the tabernacles of the Holy Spirit. In this earthly tabernacle, Jehovah dwelt. He grants his presence now to people like you and to me. If we will accept him into our hearts and into our lives, if we will confess our sin and Invite him in. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. We can have the presence of the living God within us. In Christ we worship and we offer spiritual sacrifices. Within there, there were sacrifices being offered day after day after day. The same sacrifice often repeated And as we said, there were no seats in the tabernacle. The priest never sat down. Because as soon as he finished one sacrifice, there was another one to be made and another one to be made. And Hebrews tells us that oftentimes the same sacrifice was offered day after day after day. But, and it's a very important but, the Lord Jesus Christ says, This man, the Lord Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of the Majid. God accepted his sacrifice for sins, for your sins. And then Jesus said, when it is finished, he said, it is finished. He sat down eventually at the right hand of his Father on high. 
There's no other sacrifice. No blood, no altar now. The sacrifice is o'er. No fire, no smoke ascends on high. The lamb is slain no more. For richer blood has flowed from nobler veins to rid the soul of guilt and cleanse the reddest stains. No more sacrifice necessary. No more masses offering the sacrifice of Jesus. No. One sacrifice for sins forever. We used to sing a hymn. Forever with the Lord. Amen. So let it be. Life from the dead is in that word. Tis immortality. And this is it. Here in this body pent. We're bound up in this old body. Absent from him I roam. And nightly pitch my moving tent a day's march nearer home. We're getting nearer heaven. Every day we pitch our moving tent. My father's house on high, home of my soul, how near at times to faith's foreseeing eye the golden gates appear. Ah, then my spirit faints to reach the land I love, that bright inheritance of saints, Jerusalem above. Forever with the Lord, O Father, tis thy will, the promise of that faithful word, e'en here to me fulfill. And we're looking, we're moving closer to God day by day. Here in this body pent, absent from him I roam, and nightly pitch my moving tent, a day's march nearer home. This old tabernacle had to be moved. We saw that the cloud... Above it was a sign of God's presence. And when the cloud moved, the people moved as well. They had to t- dismantle the tabernacle, move on, re-erect it, do all the, the sacrifice again. The cloud moved again, away they go again. They lived by utter, utterly by faith. They didn't know when they were going to move off, and they didn't know when they were going to stop. That's the way we should live as Christians. Totally, totally dependent on what God wants us to do. Although we long for our Father's home, Christ, in a very real way through his Spirit, has made our abode, his abode with us. That's the amazing thing. Although we long to get to heaven, we long to see the face of our Savior, we long to to meet those who have gone before. But he has pitched his tabernacle within us. That's the wonder of it. Isn't it? We have his abode with us day by day. Paul, when he was writing to the Colossians, he said, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And this mystery, he said, this is something which people didn't realize before. They had the tabernacle that they had to to, to worship at and, and offer sacrifices day after day. But the hope, he says, the mystery, the new thing that I want to tell you is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. 20 minutes for one covering, four coverings, 80 minutes. No, it's not good. <laughs> not good. <laughs> Let's move on. The second covering, the second covering, thou shalt make a curtain of goat's hair to be a covering for the tabernacle the wonder and the beauty of the, the hidden sanctuary was covered by goat's hair something rough and which, which wasn't all that attractive as Christ walked through the dusty roads and hills of Palestine and as he went his way uh, 
how many really, how many people that he came in contact with really understood who he was? We sang in that hymn, they, they derided him, sinners in derision. He was held in derision by many people. The, the religious leaders didn't uh, recognize him. Even his transfiguration, it was only Peter, James and John which saw his real glory and his real beauty. Very few people recognized him for who he was. And even then, when they came down from the mountain, he charged them. He said, don't tell. Don't tell anybody until after my resurrection. He was hidden. And Isaiah says, he comes up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. Or as the, the, the modern translation, he has no form nor majesty that we should see him nor an appearance that we should desire him. Hath no form nor comeliness. Yes, as Jesus walked across the, the stage of this world, he covered himself in goat's hair. It wasn't obvious to people who he was. You see, he knew what was in man, and he knew that he would never be popular. He knew he had a task to do. He came to die. And those who, who, who one day were quite happy to say Hosanna in the highest would soon say away with him, away with him, crucify him. We will not have this man to reign over us. Let us remember, let us remember when things get rough, people don't accept what you say. Let's remember this covering of goat skin. Let us never seek popularity at the expense of our faith or, or at the expense of the faith once delivered to the saints it's all to do with separation these coverings were separating the glory of God from the eye of sinful man we were talking about separation earlier on weren't we about separating ourselves from those who teach false doctrine separating ourselves from, from those who, who would lead us astray and lead the flock astray separation is an act of the will it's an act of the will we have to do it there are many many verses in scripture telling us to stay away from those who teach false doctrine we're talking about various things which have been leading people astray I've said enough about that I could go on the third covering the third covering was tent of ram skin dyed red as we have seen these were all separating the glory that was inside from the eyes of those that were outside a ram was slain for the consecration service for the priests at the time of their sanctification to the service of God. If you go over to uh, Exodus 29 and 19, 
And thou shalt take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands upon the head of the ram, and thou shalt kill the ram, and take of his blood, and put it upon the tip of the right ear of Aaron, and upon the tip of the right ear of his sons, and upon the thumb of their right hand, and upon the great toe of their right foot, and sprinkle the blood upon the altar round about. They were being consecrated to the service of God, and a ram was slain. And the, the blood of that ram was, was placed on their ears and, their, and, and on their hands, in the various places, upon the tip of their, their right ear, and upon the thumb of their right hand, and upon their right foot, the great toe of their right foot. They were, all the actions that they were going to, what they were going to listen to, what they were going to do with their hands, where they were going to walk, all the aspects of their lives were to be sanctified to God. And this uh, covering of ram skin gives the picture of the total dedication Jesus Christ had to his Father. He was prepared to do his Father's will at all times. That's what he came to do. Total dedication. We, we, we looked at those verses, in, well, we mentioned those verses in Philippines. Philippians 2.5 Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, and being found in likeness of men and in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Total obedience to his father. That's what sanctification meant to these priests. Everything they did was to be in the service of God. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Oh yes, Jesus will be glorified and every tongue shall confess him. Those who even don't want to will have to acknowledge that he is. It says every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The red dye, the red dye accentuates the death and suffering and complete dedication Jesus Christ had to his Father. And that's what he desires of each one of us, complete and utter trust and dedication to what he wants us to do and to be. Something I noticed as I was looking at this last night, it's interesting that while Aaron, if you look at verse 7 of chapter 29, Aaron was anointed before the lamb was slain. Aaron was the high priest, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was God's anointed one. God's anointed one. But his sons were not anointed until after the lamb had been slain. The Holy Spirit didn't come until after Christ had been crucified. And he said, I will send you the Comforter. And he said, I, the Holy Spirit won't come until I go away. Aaron, in verse 7, it says that they anointed him and anoint him. Take, take the, the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. But in verse 21, And thou shalt take of the blood of the altar of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and upon his garments and upon his sons. They were anointed with the Holy Spirit after 
the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Spirit was sent upon. That's just a, a point. The fourth covering, we come, move on, the fourth covering. The fourth covering was a covering above of badger skins. What an unattractive final covering. It didn't look like anything. We said that before. If you looked at the tabernacle from away in the distance, it was a, wasn't an interesting looking building. And there again it speaks that until we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our own, we don't see the beauty of him. We don't see all that is there. We used to sing a thing, uh, of course, oh, the beauty of his presence, oh, the glory of his face. I am his and his forever. He has saved me by his grace. The beauty, let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. That's what God wants. He wants us to grow more and more like our Savior. The glory of the presence of God was protected from all the storms and all the outside influences of that wild and rugged wilderness that they were passing through. Beneath the fourfold protection, the priests continued their service of God. And we are protected. We used to say safe and secure from all alarms, trusting neath the everlasting arms. We have the everlasting arms of God around us. We're safe and secure from all alarms, trusting, trusting, trusting neath the everlasting arms. The fourfold covering of the tabernacle speaks to us of that protection which we have in Jesus Christ. We're going to go on and we're going to remember the Lord Jesus Christ in the breaking of bread. Now, we've said so much about the death and of the Lord Jesus Christ that really it's just a natural following on here in remembering him in the communion. He, he died. We, we remember that he was the one who came from heaven. The one who knew no sin. And he came down to this earth and lived and died for you and for me. What did we say in Philippines? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, been found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He humbled himself and became obedient to his Father's will, even the death of the cross. And he cried, let this cup pass from me. That was his human side praying, let this cup, if it's possible, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He was like the red uh, covering there it was a, he was totally dedicated to do his father's will and he did it for you and for me that's the amazing thing for sins not his own sins but for yours and for mine and he bore the wrath of God if we don't accept that sacrifice for uh, that he did it in, 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 in a personal way for me the wrath of God still is upon us. We will endure the wrath of God if we don't accept him as our saviour. 
people who have not accepted Christ, the wrath of God abides upon them. It's a, a devastating thought. But the wrath of God was poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ so that you and so that I could know that peace with God that only comes through faith and trust in him. For me, Lord Jesus, thou hast died, and I have died in thee. Have we? I am crucified with Christ, Paul says. What he meant was that his, his selfish desires, his, his desires to, to do his own will, had been crucified, had been put to death. He had said, no, not I, but Christ. Not I, but Christ. And now thou livest in me, that hymn goes on to say. And now thou livest in me. Jesus Christ has come to tabernacle with you and with me. It's, it's incredible. Why? Because he died. Because his blood was shed. His body was broken. The body of Christ broken was a picture of the veil being broken. What happened in the temple when the veil was, was rent from the top to the bottom was only a picture to the Jews of the wonderful spiritual thing that had happened out of Calvary. Jesus had made it possible for you and me to go into the very presence of God through him. We want to thank him this morning for the bread and the wine, symbols of his body broken for me. Let us pray.